Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? Today we are talking about Michael Mann's classic, Manhunter. Uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion today, and I'm really pumped to get into it because uh, a little peek behind the curtain, I've watched this movie four times this week. If you follow either me or the podcast account on Twitter, you've probably seen hundreds of tweets about Manhunter at this point, or tweets about the Dolphins. It's pretty much been the only two things this week. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Uh, I don't have anything as exciting as my team drafting Tua, but... Uh, Let's go! But, uh, you know, we did just win the Super Bowl, so I guess that counts. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I am good also. Uh, MotoGP 20 came out on Thursday, so <laughs> I've been binge playing that since then. How is that? Oh, it's great. Uh, just won the Moto3 championship. And nice. Congrats. Got myself into quite a predicament. I signed a contract too soon um, and then kept winning. So now the MotoGP bikes want to sign me and skip Moto2. So I have to buy out my Moto2 contract and we'll see if I make enough money by the end of the season to do that. The Scotty Pippen problem, I see. (laughs) Just taking a heavy discount. On that note, uh, speaking of Scotty Pippen, what's everybody been watching this past week? Well, should we talk about what we probably have all seen? Yeah. We've all talked about, the, or all watched The Last Dance. Yes. Two more episodes coming tonight. Yeah. One of them is a Dennis Rodman episode. Hell yeah. I think that's this next one. You know what I was surprised about three. with The Last Dance is that Julia Stiles, like, didn't show up at all. <laughs> She's on the cover. Very, You'd think she'd be in it. Very minimal <laughs> dancing. <laughs> Maybe that's episode 10. That's why it's called The Last Dance. <laughs> I just, you know, just kind of sitting down for some... Classic ballerina hip hop dancing. Phil Jackson doing the dance from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> also, do you think anybody in the entire documentary is outdoes Pat Riley on just absolute drip? I mean, I don't think anybody Pat in Riley, life outdoes Pat, Pat Riley. Pat Riley just went full Miami for his interview. Oh, yeah. The bamboo wall. <laughs> incredible. That man has multiple lamps made of seashells somewhere in that house. <laughs> he definitely did not answer his own door. He was sitting there the whole time waiting for them to arrive. Yeah. What else have you guys been watching? Um, let's see. What did we watch recently? Got to pull up the old, I don't know, Google Play. Um, let's see. <laughs> We've been watching. I finished my. Uh, okay, oh, you, nope. you did nope, find I one. Didn't. So go Keep ahead. Going. I, um, I finished my return. Lord of the Rings we rewatch. Nice. Um, wrapped it up with Return of the King and Two Towers this week. Um, and I guess since the last time we recorded, I've just done all three, and the first two Hobbit movies. Damn. And they still rip. I I love Lord of the Rings, and uh, recently upon rewatch. Um, it, it was pointed out and I noticed Frodo and Legolas never exchange words. That's why at the very end of Return of the King, he just goes, ah, when he sees Legolas come in. <laughs> he says everyone else's name, but Legolas hey, just, it's you. Ah. Hey, buddy. That guy, you made How's it. How's my friend doing? <laughs> my good friend, Legoland. <laughs> And then outside of Manhunter, I really haven't watched much else. Um, I did watch a really, really good um, taut thriller. Um, very similar to this, but a thousand times better. 
Uh, we watched Collateral. Uh, rewatched Collateral recently, which is awesome. That's the uh, Jamie. That's also Michael Mann, right? I think it is. Yeah, Jamie Fox, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise uh, has like gray hair when he's forty, even though he is sixty currently. <laughs> Does not have gray hair. Uh, no, but it's it's awesome. It's the it is probably my favorite Tom Cruise running movie of all time. Oh hell yeah! As far as his skill, maybe. Uh, Mission Impossible Four when he tries to outrun a sandstorm, but but this one is probably the most grounded and realistic. <laughs> I would love to see. That's a combo that I wish I could see more. Is um, Tom Cruise and Michael Mann? I think they only did collateral yeah. together, but what a what a combo. Well, I mean, imagine Tom Cruise is the perfect actor for a Michael Mann movie, just with his delivery, his screen presence. Imagine him in the Will Graham role. You can picture it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, that's just Minority Report. Yeah, true. (laughs) Uh, So one thing about Collateral, is that the movie you told your parents we rented when we rented V for Vendetta instead when we were younger? No. No, that was Equilibrium. Equilibrium. We told them we were watching Equilibrium. Right, that's right. I said Collateral is a hard R, so I don't think they would have picked that one. Well, isn't Equilibrium also? I don't know. It's hard to say. One time I definitely lied and said that I went and saw Rush Hour 3 instead of The Hangover. Um, and then I had to look up the entire plot of Rush Hour 3 just so I could describe what my favorite parts were. Because they asked me, they're like, so, you know, who was in that? I was like, oh, you know, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. And they're like, what's it about? Uh, <laughs> so I was like, good thing I did my research because they asked me that shit. So. <laughs> All right, we got anything else we've been watching? Yeah, I too watched a thriller this week. Uh, Wednesday, I watched the amazing title, Spider-Man 3. Oh, oh yes. that's right. We did watch that. All three of us watched that. With my closest pals, yeah. I watched half of it, and then my computer died. <laughs> uh, yep, Spider-Man 3 still holds up. You know, I think I my computer died for the exact perfect parts because I, overall, I felt really good about it. As you should. I know uh, Brendan joined us for a bit. Uh, Michael, uh, the porno jukebox. Um, both Gregs joined us for a bit. That was confusing, um, by the way. Both Gregs. That was. We, we apologize. I think I was definitely talking to you as if you were one Greg. <laughs> I didn't even realize two Gregs were in it. So <laughs> well, it, didn't, it didn't help that Greg, First Issue Club Greg, left. And then Greg D joined oh. with the with the same icon and it said Greg for his username. So I had no idea for the longest time until Manhunter references were made. I was like, oh, that's Greg D. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Big shouts to both Gregs. Yes. Glad to have all of our friends join us. Uh, We also had Fred in there. Shout out to Fred for making it. Fred, huge Spider-Man 3 fan. (laughs) Well, he is a New Yorker, so he kind of has to show up. (laughs) We were asking him during the chat, is this realistic for what it's like to be in New York? It sounds like they nailed it. The biggest thing, <laughs> you know, what I never really got landed was there's a huge hostage scene where very at the top of our building, there's one person being held hostage in a car, which is Mary Jane, up in a big spider web. And like all of New York comes out to watch at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and it's like, I just wonder if there is a hostage situation nearby, if you actually go out on the street. Because if there's a hostage situation next door... I would definitely, like, stay inside. Like, I'm not going fucking out there. I don't get kidnapped. I'm going to stay inside <laughs> and lock the door. Yeah, that, I I don't know. It's hard to say. They do say small town folks just don't understand. 
<laughs> it's a city thing. What are you gonna do? Kidnappings happen all the time, right? Oh jeez. All right, let's talk. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Christ. Let's talk Michael Mann's Manhunter. Hunter you want to give us our Rotten Tomatoes yep. uh, rundown, Jeff? Sure. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a score of 92 on the tomato meter, uh, with a whopping 37 critics who have rated this movie, uh, an audience score of 77, with 50,000 ratings from the audience. So um, much higher on the critic side. I'm actually a little bit surprised by that. Um no, no, actually, I take that back. I, I am not. No, I think that's actually, I take it back. I think that actually is in line with what this movie yeah, is. Yeah, this is a critic darling, I feel like. Yep. Just underseen, and it gets overshadowed by Red Dragon. Yep. You, uh, you want to give us a plot rundown? Sure. In case people aren't familiar, Jeff? Yep. Also, I'll set the scene for you as you uh, just get reading. This stylish psychological thriller was adapted by Michael Mann from the novel by Thomas Harris. Will Graham is a burned-out FBI agent retired after hunting and capturing Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a psychopathic but brilliant serial killer. Will reluctantly returns to work to help find a new killer who specializes in killing entire families. Will uses his empathetic understanding of motivations of the killers to help catch them despite the psychological toll it takes from him and his family. That couldn't be more perfect. I'm I'm happy with how that turned out. That was only our Uh, tenth take. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sell us no, short. That was, that was totally live. First take. <laughs> um, but that sums it up. Uh, I First, before we really talk and get into what it does right, what it does wrong. Well, one, what it does wrong is going to be very short. But let's talk about, before even getting into how much we liked or didn't like it, just the cast in general. Because I think that's a super important part of this movie. Yeah, definitely agree. We have William L. Peterson and Will Graham. Uh, if you are watching this for the first time and, and haven't really looked into it, you may be you may recognize him, you may not. That is um, Will Graham from CSI, the original sort of lead for that show. Um, he's been in some other stuff, but I think those are two real major things that people actually know him from. Um, also, and so that's that's the probably bottom rung yep. of who we've got in this movie. Should we just kind of list them off? You want to go ahead? Let's do it. So we've got Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, which we're going to talk about. Dennis Farina as Jack, the police chief, who rips. Absolutely. Love Dennis Farina in this movie. Stephen Lang as Freddie Lowndes, which I believe in Red Dragon is the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman role, Mm. which two remarkably different actors. But seeing Stephen Lang in that role is insane. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, Tom Noonan as Francis Stollerhide. This this cast is unbelievable. It's insane. What would people, I'm trying to go through, what would people know Tom Noonan from the most? That So that was the hardest one for me because a lot of people have pretty much just said that this is his defining role. Um, but let's see. He's in Heat, isn't he? He is in Heat. Oh, uh, he's Frankenstein in the Monster Squad. Um, oh, he's in. Uh, oh, he's in the Twelve Monkeys series, not the movie. Oh shit, he's in uh, House of the Devil. He was in RoboCop Two. Mm-hmm. The man with the one Le- red shoe. That's, I don't, I don't Eight-legged know. freaks. Heaven's Gate. Oh, he was in Heaven's Gate. Okay, I know him from that. He's like he's such a character actor. I feel like he's been. Yes. In, you know what I mean. He was in Eight-legged freaks. His uh his defining factor is that he's tall. <laughs> 
You, if you need kind of like a tall creep, tall Tom Noonan's your guy. Yeah. Um, so let's let's just go ahead and jump into what we liked about this movie. And I just I've got a whole page of notes here. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and just pull that up for you guys to see. Oh my gosh! You went Brendan and Star Wars level on us. Oh yeah, this is I I didn't realize how much, just how many notes I took about this movie. This, I'll just start by saying this movie hit me in a way that it is very rare for a movie to hit me. Scott Pilgrim was one of them. The first time I watched Scott Pilgrim, I watched it 10 times in one week. Uh, A couple of those times were back-to-back viewings. Jaws was, this one hit me very similarly to Jaws because I think a lot deeper on it than I do with something like Scott Pilgrim. It just, it rips. I, I love this movie. So, Dennis Farina rules. Will Graham rules. The score and the soundtrack are pitch perfect. And I don't want to rattle these. I'll, you guys go, and I'll just I'll interject. Let's do. Uh, can we do film style first? So, yes. So this is, I think, something where definitely Tyler and I agree. I'd be interested to see what Riley thinks about this. But I don't think I don't think you can fault this film for how it looks. This is a a in my opinion, beautiful film. Like, if you go and look up just kind of screen caps from this film, like, right from the very beginning, where they have the beach and the the uh, log that they're all sitting on, and Freena mm-hmm. is looking out, and Will Graham is looking in, and I'm just going to mix the actors' names and the characters, because I don't... You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, everything in this is 100% Michael Mann. Like, if you've seen Heat, you're going to recognize a lot of the same, like, beats and looks and colors. There's a lot of blue... There's a lot of like sunsets and silhouettes, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of silhouettes in this for sure. And so I think it's um, from a style perspective, this is a, an amazing movie. And I really, really like the way it looks and the way that it feels. Um, the, the composition of every shot is really, really meticulous. Everything that man has built for this movie and the way he blocks things, it it is so particular and is such an exact shot that he gets. Yep. Like when we're introduced to Hannibal, we don't see his face because it's blocked by the uh, lock of the jail cell. And then he sits up and turns. And as soon as we see his face, the camera pulls in on it. And it's, oh, it's, it's so meticulous. Mm-hmm. Like, or the, the shot where Will is only in the right third of the screen and the other, um, it's when he's watching the films for the yeah, first time. Yeah, the other is the TV screen. Mm-hmm, and it's just black. Yeah. And it's just him watching the TV. They just absolute massive television. From <laughs> <the> <laughs> Something else I want to talk about with the stylization of it is all the color. We talked about the signature Michael Mann blue for a little bit, but something else, the way light is used in this movie is unbelievable. Um, there are shots in here specifically the climax but also an early shot that there's actually a lot of i won't i wouldn't say inspiration because i don't know if it's where he pulled it from but a really visually similar style to suspiria um, from the 70s with all this heavily colored light like when they're all talking um dennis farina will and the i think it's the no it's either morgue or the um head of Lecter's asylum the dude with the big glasses that kind of looks like Killian Murphy Mm -hmm. when they're all talking 
those blinds that they're standing in front of are just backlit, backlit with neon green. Mm-hmm. And it's insane. It's such an insane shot. And there's no reason for them to be just like bright green, but they are. Mm-hmm. And it it adds so much vibrancy and color to like think of any think of any serial killer movie and it's probably going to be drab as hell. Like it's very dark, stark colors and it's all kind of the similar color palette where there's an insane amount of color throughout this movie. It's one of my complaints about the Mindhunter series on Netflix is how like monotone that is. Um, mm-hmm. It feels very like lots of fluorescent light and things like that. And even though that's like still really interesting and, and similar feel to this, there's just not near as much style. And so I do think that's, that is the number one thing this movie has going for it is just the way that it looks and the way that it's composed. I put a, a link in our chat that you can see. We'll also tweet it out. It, oh, just some of the screen grabs, and it is just wild what they're able to accomplish mm-hmm. with this. There was a lot of care put into this movie because so every um, every Francis scene they shot two of because Man didn't know if he wanted him to have the red dragon tattoo or not. So they shot it both ways. Um, so you will see some promo art, like there's one shot of Francis where he's doing the, do you see the great becoming monologue? And he has his shirt off and he has the massive red dragon tattoo. Um, but in the end, man said he decided he did not want, he didn't want to go that route with Francis and it, it seemed just too over the top for him. So instead he took that out and had hit, had him completely free of the tattoo. Mm-hmm. He put in so much effort to make this movie exactly what he wanted it to be. There, There is, uh, I'll save it for our favorite scene, because there are some favorite scenes in here. Um, mm-hmm. Riley, what, was, what were your, some, some of your favorite parts? Well, let's hop over to the sound and the uh, soundtrack. Um, yes. Tyler just played it a little bit ago, but I, whatever song that's called. Inagata uh, Davida. Yeah. Throwing that into the climax of the movie really makes that scene stand out from probably the rest of the movie for me. Yeah. Um, for me, I think that's the pinnacle of this movie is that final scene set to Inagata Davida. So, but then, but then I know it'll come up for Jeff. Okay, later. Yeah. Keep going. So, but other than that, like the actual score of the movie, um, just heavy synth. So obviously that's a yeah. sweet spot for me. Um, I just thought, yeah, the music was really well done. There was a lot of like, um, I thought it was, I don't know. There's a lot of like floating in and out of the score too. Like a lot of like mm-hmm. synth where it's like the same note and it just kind of gets louder and it just, just mm-hmm. kind of sits there for like 16 measures. You know what I mean? They've just sort of been the, the back. And so I did think that the, the synth made this, some of this feel like very like dreamy, you know, like very dreamlike right. for, for pieces yeah. of it. And I think that's like a very big hallmark of sort of this not only this era but like anything where it gets really conceptual abstract whatever having that kind of backing behind it i think Mm -hmm. gives it a extra layer and obviously it it makes it very much feel like a period not a period piece but like it's it's of the times right like it it makes it feel it's a 1986 movie it feels extremely like a 1986 movie for sure what What's really nice about that, though, is that it doesn't feel dated, and I don't know if that's just because we have had such a resurgence of the 80s aesthetic, or if this is something that just holds up that well. It could be a mix of both, but I this it doesn't it feels very modern while still being very of the time. 
Yeah, I don't think it almost feel it almost feels like it was like they made it to be a modern movie in 1986. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you told me that they made it not to be set in 1986, I'd believe you. Yeah, absolutely. If you told me this was an A24 feature this year, I would believe you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it looks like not only just the the style, but like it it is filmed on really high quality. I mean, obviously I know it's a movie, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like every, even the screenshots are all like really, it's really, really sharp. clear. Very yeah. sharp. Yeah, absolutely. There's none of the graininess that sometimes you get in, in older movies. So, um, yeah. I think that probably comes down to Michael Mann because I believe most of his movies are like that. And that's probably just a preference for um, what he used to make film. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate it for sure. Something I wanted to talk about, less on the production side and... Um, probably could still give some credit to man, but I think a lot of this just comes from the actors themselves. The performances in this movie are unbelievable. There, There is so much nonverbal acting and it's so much body language, um, particularly with Brian Cox as Hannibal. Something that I've noticed in the second and third times I watched it, I noticed it. When he's talking to Will, and he's negotiating to try and get the file with the crime scene photos, et cetera, et cetera, just trying to get the file from Will. Every part of his body is tensed up because if you look at his feet, his feet aren't flat on the floor. Um, he's up on the balls of his feet. And you can tell he's just like wound like a spring. Like he is tensed up and ready to go. And then as soon as Will agrees to give him the file, he's up and he glides across the room. He moves so lightly. And that like, that communicates so much to us about Hannibal. And I think for me personally, honestly, and I could get some heat for this, this is my favorite rendition of Hannibal Lecter, including Anthony Hopkins. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think there's just something... Hopkins makes him seem very intelligent and very creepy. Uh, with Brian Cox, he Hannibal has a gravitas, and he, like... He projects this image of this within the world like he is this iconic killer. And I think they really add a lot of weight to who he is with the Brian Cox performance. So I'm interested in that because I don't know if I agree, but I, I, I get your point. I think the you can tell he's very clear. You can tell he's sort of playing with him a little bit. I think the difference in between like Silence of the Lambs and this and the the performance there is... To me, this feels a lot more like Hannibal and Will Graham are like equals. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Like they, they, Will Graham has fought him before and won versus like Clarice and Silence of the Lambs being like brand new. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and clearly mm-hmm. like Hannibal is, I don't know if he is, he is smarter, but like he, he has the upper hand in so many of those things. And so I think that's the only thing that I like better in Silence of the Lambs is that relationship. I, I like the, it gives, Hannibal power and then this one I ultimately felt like he was even though they're in it for about the same amount of time like in Silence of the Lambs Hannibal Lecter feels like a main character and in this one I Mm -hmm. felt like he was it was a bit part and so I think that's there's just not necessarily in my opinion the same overarching like stamp of Hannibal Lecter on this movie like this doesn't feel like a Hannibal Mm -hmm. Lecter movie even and I would say Silence of the Lambs does even though they're they do have the same amount of time so like when this is billed and maybe it's just again coming up with expectations this is sort of billed as a Hannibal Lecter movie and so I think ultimately I was disappointed 
that there wasn't more of that. And you get to see him be like smart and like obviously like find Will Graham's address and stuff like that. But you don't actually get to see him commit any violence. And that's actually a mm-hmm. bone that I have to pick in the next section is just I ultimately think this film like needs more visceral violence from other characters in order to make it yeah. feel like more like the stakes are higher. So I don't mm-hmm. know if we can talk about that later. Uh, so something not to belabor this point any more than we already have, but something I do like is that you feel like if if Hannibal were to get out, he would absolutely ruin Will's life. And even a little bit in the little bit from within side, uh, he gives Francis Will's address. Like there is so much shit that he does to still mess with Will, even though he's on the inside. A um, couple other performances. I really, really love Dennis Farina as Jack. Mm-hmm. That like that's the quintessential police chief type role. Uh, it's the role he was born to play. Something I noticed when they're trying to stake out an ambush. Um, uh, Francis, when he ends up getting Freddy instead, when Will's walking out and it does the really cool pan of him walking down the alleyway and showing on the side the whole SWAT team just like hidden and they're fully geared up, rifles ready to go. And then you look in the background as all this, like, all the SWAT team is very strategically hidden. And then there's just Dennis Farina pressed against the wall in his suit with his mustache <laughs> in full display. And it's just like. <laughs> He's not geared up at all, but he's just there, just hiding. <laughs> I would say it's it's probably one of my favorite Dennis Farina roles. I would say this and Snatch and Nick mm-hmm. Nick's dad, a new girl. They're, Nick Miller's yeah, dad, I love it. The argument between Will and Jack, and this is my last bit on Dennis Farina, when he's like, yeah, you, you showed me the first and second family because you knew I would think of the third, the fourth, the fifth family. He's like, you're goddamn right I did, and I would do it again. Like... <laughs> He, it's, it's the quintessential police chief role. Oh yeah. Rules. It's like, it is the, on the other end, you know, this guy has told somebody, turn in your gun and your badge. You're a loose cannon. Well, you even have him going back to Will like, we need you. Exactly. (laughs) That was a lifetime ago. (laughs) We're different people now. We are. Got it. Rules. Okay. I, I'm just like, I'm ranting at this point. I think visually the movie is incredible sonically with the score and the sound mixing is incredible the performances are all fantastic and so i'll i will cede the floor and we can switch into things this movie might not do as well i have very minimal nitpicky things so i'll get them out of the way early one when he shoots francis at the end in the big climax there's that really cool blood spray effect that they do where like a jet of blood coming out of the back of francis when he gets shot and then when Will kills him, the wall is totally clean. So just a little continuity no, problem. No, I didn't think so. I think I saw it. there's blood on the wall. There, it, There is, but it's not in the spot oh, okay. where the blood, it shows you it hit the wall. And then it's just not there in the next shot. So I get it. Like That doesn't do anything to take me out of the movie. And then one of the most nitpicky things is um, <laughs> we like... Will's wife is way too okay with this, with the way it's built up. She, you know, don't, you're not going to get involved again, right? Like, et cetera, et cetera. And then, like, it comes out and she's like, all right, well. We'll go into hiding. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I, that's all I've got. I I think one of the biggest things, yeah, I, and you kind of brought it up, but Will's wife, just as a character, kind of just unnecessary. 
in this whole movie. Like, yeah. she just doesn't do anything. She doesn't, but what what's nice about her character is that we don't have any forced drama between her and Will. We don't have her getting kidnapped or anything like that. The closest is just the family being put in danger by Hannibal giving their address out. She doesn't get fridged. She isn't she doesn't become a device to advance Will's hunt for Han or hunt for Francis. She, Will has a great marriage with her. They have a very good relationship, it seems like. And it just it's nice to see that. But without any conflict or her being associated with any conflict, it does make it seem like she's a little unnecessary as a character. But I just I like to see Will have that good, strong relationship too. I think my so my nitpicks with this movie is I think the movie actually takes a downward turn where you think it starts to ramp up, which is like basically when he figures out that he's like a video uh, tech or something like that and they fly to St. Louis. Like I actually think the movie has a lot of momentum up until that point and then I think it gets really weirdly abstract or maybe even before he realizes the video because it, it, it gets into this whole thing of like reflections and mirrors and like mm -hmm. becoming who he is and like i think it gets a little bit too highbrow for itself um and doesn't totally land for me i think also there's I, I think the movie i don't know i think the movie drags a little bit there to be totally honest yeah, i agree yeah and i really i think the inclusion of the blind coworker that he takes home should be really interesting and i'm so not interested in their relationship or oh, her man. as a character that it like you and i are two different it people it really man. takes me out of it like i don't know i don't know what i wanted instead i think what i wanted was him stalking another family and him like almost getting into the house and like killing the family and then them bust in and get him like i think that was the a conclusion that would have it feels like that's what they were setting up for right and then they took like a hard right turn and well, brought the love interest. I don't, not love interest. So I, I, I do have, I have an interpretation of that. I haven't read the Red Dragon book. I need to. Um, I, so I don't know if Reba is included. Um, but something, so when he is dating Reba, like in the very, when she comes over and you have the gin and tonic scene, um, and she's like, what are you watching? He's like, oh, I'm doing research. And he's watching the film of the next family he's going after. Um, but then he becomes attracted to Reba, who cannot see him. And so he, like, that's a whole thing for him to grapple with because his whole thing is being seen and trying to shape himself into somebody desirable. And now he's desirable without this person seeing him. So they hook up and then he cries. I think the crying is the realization because he, he goes to kidnap her and he says, Francis is gone. So it could be assumed that within part of um, Francis's pathology, when the full moon hits, the red dragon comes out. So he cries when he sees or when he becomes attracted to Reba and they have sex because he knows now that she is going to be the new target for the red dragon when the full moon comes. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of really weird very abstract right. psychopathology type things to really dive into with this. And for me, I think it's fascinating. I think the scene with the tiger is fascinating. And I think as soon as you have that scene is where this movie really takes off. 
and it starts just barreling towards the inevitable conclusion and it gets so weird along the way. And I think and I love that it does I that. I think that's why you love it and I don't. Because there is an element of it gets it gets way out of what the first part of this movie is, which is this like grounded serial killer hunt. Like not cop movie, but yeah, like a little bit of a cop movie. And then mm-hmm. this movie gets into this really, really weird, like dealt deep well of like spiritual psychoanalysis type of thing. And I think yeah. there are movies that can do that, and I think there are movies that can nail that. But for this movie, I think it, it can it got way too confusing. And I don't need necessarily movies to like hold my hand and tell me exactly what's going on. But like this this movie, I think brings a lot of things in and never ties off those threads right like i don't think it's it's very clear at all from the movie standpoint like i know they talk about like the the moon coming out but like they don't necessarily like i don't know i don't think it's very clear that he like slips into a different like persona like the red Mm -hmm. dragon thing like is is a totally different like personality persona type of thing and what you were indicating with like the the moon and him like realizing is to me basically saying like he doesn't have control over the red dragon most of the time. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. I so I think he perceive I, I think it's broken down and it's not like a spiritual or mystic thing. It really is just he perceives that he does not have control because he has built up this psychosis that when the moon comes, the red dragon comes out. Um, I think it's just his interpretation of this psychosis that he has, and so he thinks that it's something else taking over, but it's really just how he has reacted, responded, and built up his psychosis. I I think it's fascinating. I think there's a lot to dive into with it. I, yeah, I, See, I don't know. And, it's just wild. And that's like a, and that interpretation, right, like would make the movie look very different. And I think if that was a, if that was a thing we were supposed to all take away, I don't think the movie did enough things to make that like understandable for everybody. And again, I'm not, right. I'm not saying that the movie has to hold my hand and there can be movies that I just don't get and that's totally fine. But I think that sometimes when they leave it open to, to interpretation that much, then that to me is like a, a fault of a movie, not necessarily that mm-hmm. you like can read into it so much. I think um, the other thing that I think is really interesting and or I wish they would have done more, again, this is where like I would have loved some violence from Hannibal Lecter and I would love... Mm-hmm. probably actually a lot more violence from the serial killer because we get to see the aftermath and the aftermath is, is grisly, right? Like when they're walking through the first two mm-hmm. homes, it is grisly. But like, aside from like lounge that we see off screen where he like bites him on the mouth or something like that, like we mm-hmm. don't really get a good feel for why he is this like monster. And especially like the tooth fairy, like I get that that's like the, the media calling him that because he like bites his mm-hmm. victims and because he like, put teeth impressions in but like where the fuck does that come from like you know what i mean like well it's like why does why did ted bundy do that what and that's that's thrown into every ted bundy movie documentary that he bit and savaged these women but like that you know we don't get that explanation we don't get that i think it's just true to form that we don't get that with Francis because there is so much we don't know about him yeah and maybe and we're we're just working with what the police have found and interpreted. And maybe that's what I'm looking for is, is this movie is maybe intentionally leaving a lot of stuff up in the air. Right. But there's so much of this movie that just like, just feels like loose ends. It doesn't feel like intentional. Like, well, what about this? What about this? I think it introduces too many things. And so for me, 
from a stylistic standpoint, this movie is awesome. Performance standpoint, this movie is mm-hmm. awesome. But like the plot, I think is a mess from my perspective. And for me, it's just like, I think so much of how this stuff would happen in real life, that's also a mess. It's not straightforward and there are a lot of things left unanswered a lot of times. So I think it it kind of adds an air of realism to this very stylistic thing when we don't get all of our questions answered uh, within this two hours of um, this whole journey to capture Francis. Uh, Riley, do you have anything else before we move on? No, I think you guys nailed it. Um, All right, so let's keep moving and go ahead and do our standout scenes. Jeff, why don't you take it first? Okay, so like I said, I really like the first half of this movie. I think it's really hard not to pick the Hannibal scene just because he's not in it for very long. And I do think Brian Cox is a good Hannibal. I think what it made me want was more, right? But I think from a filming perspective, acting perspective, the whole thing is great. That cell that they're both in, both on one side and the cell that actually Hannibal is in, is very small. And so, so many of the angles you can tell are like, are wide shots from like the very furthest back they could be in that corner, or they're like very high to try to make it feel like you can see more of it, right? So there's a couple of screen grabs where like you see Will on one side and Hannibal on the other, and like it's you can tell like from an angle perspective that they're in the corner. Um, and so I really like that scene because of it does show the the psychosis of of Hannibal Lecter and that he is very smart and I love the I don't know if it's a trope, but I love the trope when serial killers just like are like they just act totally normal. They're like, hey, Will, like how you do? You know what I mean? Like I, I love that element of a serial killer movie. Um, and so when they're having the conversation, he's like, could I happen to have your home phone number so I can call? You know what I mean? Like yeah, like it's such a in a normal conversation, such an affable like normal thing. Um, but obviously it would be super dangerous. So I just I thought that was a good scene. And, and like I said before with the the Silence of the Lambs and the relationship between Hannibal and Clarice. Um, it is interesting in this one that they are more equals and Will already caught him once and Will's like, I'm not fucking around, like I'm not going to take your bait type of thing. So I do think that's interesting, but um, I don't know. So I think that is a really good scene. And I like the white in that scene too. The color is really yes. good. Yes. The stark white is awesome. Riley, if you have yours, you can go ahead and yeah. go. If not, I've got mine, I think, nailed down. Okay, I... Obviously, you want to pick, like, the climax is a very standout-ish scene. I think I'm going to go with Will's first tour through the house. That's a good scene. Ooh. Excellent. Uh, because, because you see you like see how his mind works and why they went out of their way to bring him back for this. I think it does a good job of setting up the movie. Something that I don't we didn't really touch on, but I think is really great about the writing and the performance, is that Will, like... Will seems very well adjusted, but there's also something off about his brain and the way he works. And Hannibal kind of highlights it uh, several times in their conversations that he he basically says him and Will are the same person. And he knows how Will thinks and Will knows how he thinks. And so the emphasis that Will does have this singular fixation and this obsession and can think like a serial killer, it's all very weird. Um, but he, he really pulls it off. Um, yeah, great pick, Riley. And then mine, like, we would be remiss if we did not talk about it. We haven't really touched on it much, but the the great becoming scene when he has kidnapped Freddie Lowndes, uh, it's, it's so perfect because Stephen Lang 
is basically your quintessential badass in almost every movie he's in, right? Like he, Stephen Lang kicks ass. And he is presented also as just like a braggadocious jerk, like big pompous asshole. Military in this a lot movie. of time too. Yeah, he is very military in most of his roles. Um, but in this, he's like, he's very full of himself. He's very confident. And he, you see this just stone cold badass that we know from all these other roles of he you know he's the guy he is broken down to a sniveling crying victim and like he's like whimpering in some parts of the things he's saying he's like oh god no no like it's so wild to see Stephen lang totally broken down like this and it's we don't even see what he sees when he's shown the aftermath of all of these things during the do you see monologue and so it's so perfect and it shows it shows who francis is so perfectly and that's the first time we see francis and just like with the mask pulled over and just well here i am and just it's a very he treats it anticlimactically and then just goes into this monologue it it's the definition of this character of the red dragon it's it is so tense and it sets the stakes for the rest of the movie that's a good one so let's move into our letdown scenes i think letdown one of the letdown scenes is like when they're first in the house before he like agrees to do it or it's like him and his wife that i don't know before he like fully dives in i feel like that takes so much time it takes a lot of time, and I feel like it's the first drag in the movie, and it's really early. And not that the movie loses momentum, but like the, I just think it takes too a little bit too long to get started because it, it dwells on that for so long. I don't know how long you're there for, but the great scenes are like him and Farina on the beach, and then him like when he's going through the house to like actually look at the murders. So I just kind of wish they would have cut that or made it shorter or something because it's it feels inorganic to kind of jump between the really good scenes. Yeah. Mine's pretty similar. It's the one about, I'd say, two-thirds of the movie uh, when his wife shows up in wherever, in, like, the hotel room or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he's on the balcony. It just kind of stops the movie for me in its tracks and just seems way out of place and very unnecessary. I think the purpose of both of those makes sense. Like, the idea of, of grounding him as this, like, this not rehabilitated, but like he's he's out of the psychiatric hospital and they're in a good place. They live on the beach. You know what I mean? They're happy. So like I get this idea of like she wants to pull him back to normalcy and he's getting pulled into this other direction. But there's just something about either the pacing or her performance or or something there where it just doesn't. I don't know. It just takes a really long time to get through both of them. And the the movie they, they just feel very yeah they're just very bland. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They so they don't do enough to bother me, really. Just because everything else in this movie rips along so well, um, I do. I'm I'm on board with Riley though. That does that's when you've really gotten momentum rolling, and you do take a little bit of a dip for that scene that really doesn't do a whole lot for you. But overall, like it doesn't doesn't bother me at all. I was almost thinking Jeff, you're gonna pick the tiger scene. I the tiger scene is is weird in a way that I can get behind. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, she's she's blind and he's taking her to see something that would be really cool. It takes a really long time. Again, there are some mm-hmm. scenes in here that like are given enough time to marinate, and there are other scenes that just like are given like three to four times the amount of time they need to marinate. And 
I get, I don't know, I get that it's like part of the aesthetic, but there, there are some parts, especially, again, after he meets the blind lady, there are a lot of scenes for me that take a really long time to get through. The so with, with the note of um, some scenes taking a little longer that you mentioned, how do you guys feel about the scene where he's talking to his son in the grocery See, store? See, I really like that. Yeah, okay, because I, I like love that, that scene. Yeah. yeah, but like that to me is like a character building scene. Yeah, and it, it's very meaningful. Right, it's it's not only like it's exactly how a kid would talk about it, and he's like, "Where did you go?" and like, "What happened?" and like, mm-hmm. the dad's like trying to figure out how much he can actually say without like traumatizing his. Like, that's a very real, well thought out, well shot scene. I actually think the kid does a pretty good job too. Like, I, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. everyone there. So I don't know. I don't know how to describe why that works for me and why the other ones don't, but. I think there's just something about the way that one is stylized. Like he, it feels like he is in that aisle forever, and that's just a normal, normal length grocery aisle. But the, the way they've set up all the products too, it feels very confining and overwhelming. And so I feel it just does a great job of capturing this uncomfortable moment of Will having to explain all of this to his kid. Yeah. Well, and it gives him. I, it I gives think, him backstory too. Like it, te- it yeah. basically tells a lot of the like Hannibal story mm-hmm. yeah that's it's perfect i i love that all right so domhnall gleason award let's hear it there are two main contenders for me in this i'm movie. not gonna pick brian cox because i think that's one of the main okay. characters yeah I, although yes please put him in this movie more give me an entire movie that's just brian cox playing hannibal even do that now absolutely like, let's do a rerun that would be yeah. perfect that would be so good right. Because, I mean, you know he's got life. He's not getting out anytime soon. You could do a movie with <laughs> Brian Cox's Hannibal now. Right. I don't know. actually don't know who I'm going to pick. I mean, Farina, I, Farina is great. I'm going to go Farina because I just – he he works so well. And you, he's one that we could put as much of him in this movie as we want. And I don't think he would take away too much other than from when Will is doing his, like, investigation scenes and putting things together. But – even in that final scene when he's fighting with Farina, it shows that he like he can just completely shut Farina out and be like, no, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, I've got this figured out. I think you could do a lot with that uh, through the rest of the movie. I'd watch a whole other movie of Farina just chasing uh, the killer. So yeah, with that, even without Will. So yeah, exactly. Just God, he rules. Just on, just chasing him with you know hard nosed street justice. <laughs> you know what I think of when I saw Farina in this movie is the this idea of like no one should really wear a suit to do anything because it's like a terrible piece of clothing to try to like be active in. Uh-huh. And what I felt like in this movie was like I'm glad Dennis Farina is wearing a suit this whole movie. Like it just seems to fit yeah. his character where he's like he's on the beach in his full suit, like with his with his suit jacket off, but like you know what I mean? Like and like a little bit of a, a pooch on him. Like, did you notice the Farina gut when he had the suit off? <laughs> oh yeah. And it's it's so perfect. Like just the way this character is built and dressed, like shows you so much about him without having to dive into any exposition about who he is whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I'd like All to right. give, I'd like to give an honorable mention to Chris Elliott also. Yes. Who was in this movie for <laughs> roughly two seconds. It it took me a couple times, I was like, that that's Chris Elliott. Yeah, and then like the other two times I watched, I was, I see him and I just think, take my strong hand. Oh man! All right, let's go ahead and do who the hell is this for, and then we can wrap up with ratings. Um, uh, 
Jeff, go ahead. Well, I'm going to cheat, and I'm just going to say the best Michael Mann movie of all time, Heat. Um, yeah. If you have not seen Heat, just you have to see it. It's just it's definitely in my top ten. It might even be in my top five now. It's it's creeping up for a movie I've seen the most times, um, which I only saw it within the last three to four years. So it's got some other stuff to pass up. But I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just a great. It's um all of the same great style with heist, which is like my number one genre. So like that movie is extremely my shit. Where this is like extremely Tyler shit. It's all the yeah. same great Michael Mann stuff in a different plot and package, which is why Heat is one of my favorite movies of all time. And Heat what Heat was my favorite Michael Mann movie until I saw Manhunter. That's fair. So I'll go ahead and go next because I don't want this one to get taken. I'm going David Fincher's Zodiac. Ah, oh, god damn it. Yes! Because <laughs> oh, it like that movie is the best serial killer movie I've ever seen and the best hunt for one. Uh so I know you said you wanted more of that in this. If you like Manhunter, you'll love what you get with Zodiac. God damn it. Uh, I'll go with Seven. Yeah. I was going to say, that's okay. got to be the oh, next okay. logical choice. Cere- yeah, serial chase movie. Oh, man. It's back around to me. Yeah. Oh, man. I am looking for my next thing. Ooh, I know. I've, I've got one. Uh, there are also two easy skip ones me, that if you need Skip one. me and come back. All right. So I am going to go with I Saw the Devil. Oh, uh, because yeah. it it's this cat and mouse chasing down a killer, but also like toying with them and very, very violent. So if you wanted more of that, that you didn't get in this movie, it's there with I Saw the Devil. Jeff, you got your next one? Or oh, I Riley? guess it's up to me. Go after, go after Riley. I'm going to go with I'll go with No Country for Old Men. All right. Why? Um, I'd say just another, you know, tracking down movie. That's all I got. I am going to go a little bit outside what I think this film is going for and go with Inside Man. Um, Have you seen Inside Man? I have not. Uh, Denzel Washington, Clive Owen. It's a heist movie. Um, Wait, hold on. Is Oh, no, I'm thinking Law Abiding Citizen. Never mind. No. Um, okay, so Inside Man is in the library. You guys got to watch that. Um, okay. It's essentially where these bank robbers like get inside a bank and take people hostage, and they're like in the vault. And basically the whole thing is like, how are you, how do you think you're going to get outside of the, like, how do you think you're going to get out of the bank without anybody? Um, is that the one where he's robbing the bank to get the heart transplant? No, that's John Q. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. No, so Inside Man, there's just some elements of cat and mouse with like the, the main robber being like really smart and then Denzel Washington trying to outsmart him. Um, also, Willem Dafoe is in it as like a frustrated, like, sergeant who denzel washington takes over for and he's like god damn it like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm having a hard time illustrating why but there's a lot of tension in cat and mouse i think is the element there for sure okay guys i'm a little surprised especially jeff you blanked on it but and needed to pass but i mean come on this is a movie about a cop going to hunt down a serial killer and consulting with Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. That like felt he... like cheating, though. It's like yeah. basically <laughs> Is the it same. cheating? Yeah. Okay. I okay. mean, I could pick um, Red Dragon. Fine, I mean... then Red Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is far worse. But um, anyway, the... Okay, I won't pick Silence of the Lambs then. You need another Stone Cold classic. You need one that has withstood the test of time. A deranged killer just killing young women. Uh, and you have somebody chasing him down and oh potentially God. losing themselves in the process. That's right. I shot him six times. It's Halloween, baby. 
That's a good one. That's a really good one. All right, let's do uh, let's do ratings. Uh, you guys can go first. Um, I'm very conflicted about this movie because stylistically, I think it's great. Performances, I think, are great. The second half of this movie for me doesn't do it, and something we didn't even talk about. I hate the Inagata Devita in the last scene. Oh yeah, that's right. We didn't talk yeah, about I, it. Yeah, I, I, oh, I, I like this. I like this scene. Okay, although why he doesn't just kill Will Graham when he's on the ground incapacitated with a shotgun doesn't make sense to me. But that's okay. He's been shot multiple times at that. Yeah, point, but though. shoot like, yeah, like tap him off. You know what I mean? Like no, but that no. I'm saying Francis has taken multiple bullets at that point. Yeah, but he has the shotgun and he's pointing it at him and he shoots the light above him and he shoots the stove. But not Will Graham. Oh no, he he shoots all the light. Oh, okay, you're talking about that one. He shoots all the lights out because he thinks Will is not the main focus. He knows Will isn't alone. There's probably going to be a team coming too. So he shoots the lights out and goes and gets ready to take down everybody else. Yeah, I, put one of those. The shots into Will's head. scene is perfect. Yeah. I will not. I will not hear any. Otherwise. I will say the shot of Will. Will slow mo running towards the giant glass window. I like that. And that's not as like as Inagata Davida builds and just shatters through and down 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 down. Maybe fucking maybe for me Inagata Davida is so overused that I I hear it and I think it's corny. Like you know what I mean? Like I it felt that to me felt like the only time that the movie was dated and made a weird choice. Like, I, I don't know exactly what I would put. Like, I would probably put synth over that last fight. Like, because there's synth the whole movie. And so it, mm. I'm gonna, you're going to get mad when I say this. This, to me, that needle drop felt very akin no, to using the no. hay song on the stairs <laughs> and Joker. Oh, I'm serious. I, so I, I started laughing when I heard the drop with the the stuff. I just couldn't, I couldn't take it seriously. And by that point, I think there was enough other stuff that took me out of the movie that I was just like, I can't wait till this movie's over. So like, all right. Well, this has been the last episode. Of <laughs> Who the hell is this for? You're uh, the one no, that I, wanted to do this for me after seeing it five times, know. knowing you'd be disappointed. So I'm not gonna feel bad no, about I, that at all. I know. I, I <laughs> this has been a really good episode with a lot of good discussion. Riley, what's your? I rating? didn't even give it a rating. Wait, Jeff, did you rate it? You didn't rate it. <laughs> so my rating is six and a half. I think that's what I thought. There's some choices you could make to make this movie a lot better. Um, and I think without all the style stuff in this, I think I'd give it a lower rating. So it's a six and a half for me. That's right where I am at as well. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't see the rewatchability in it, um, but I like it. Like, like we talked about and what it does well, you know, the mu- the score, the music, and stylistically, it's all really good. But it's definitely a movie that's just like, yeah, I saw that once. It was really, it was pretty good. Yeah. So first time I saw it, I potted it at an eight and a half, but something about it stuck with me. So. It was eight and a half, and then Francis said, do you see? And then I was at a nine. He said, do you see? Nine and a half, do you see? This movie is a perfect ten. Jesus Christ. This movie is one of the most enjoyable movies I've ever watched. It has hit me in a way that is so... It's so spot on. I know this is a very subjective rating, too, but this movie is everything that I want. It's like Michael Mann reached years into the future and pulled deep out of my brain like what would make a perfect movie for this guy in Missouri in 2020 and it's just it's so weird it's so tense it's so colorful there's so much happening here it's just an insane movie that shouldn't work and for most people it doesn't but for me this is this is a perfect movie for me 
Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, this has been fun. But uh, I do have a – we got to get rolling. Uh, so this has been a great episode. This has been another episode of Who the Hell is This For? Thank you for listening. <laughs>